Thanks for coming in, man. I didn't know what much press then this week. <laughs> it's been all week. Isn't it sort of a weird switch to turn on when you have to just start the talking phase? A little bit. I'm good at talking, so it's, it's good. fine. Because like <laughs> I'm really good at listening. All right. So this is how we're going to do it. All right. That sounds good. First one's going to read out a little bit, a little intro. Nope. Just puckering you up. <laughs> Hello, listener, and welcome to the latest instalment of Q Presents The Making Of, the podcast that goes deep into the lives of the great music makers of our time. My name is Niall Doherty, and our guest this week is Dennis Leekskin. Dennis is the frontman of the pioneering experimental hardcore band Refused, one of the most influential groups of their generation. After the release of the landmark album The Shape of Punk To Come, they split up in 1998 and reformed in 2012, releasing their first post-reunion record, Freedom, in 2015. In October, they'll follow that up with their fifth album, War Music. Dennis also has numerous other musical projects, including Invasion and Fake Names, and he joins us here today in our Camden studio. Hi everyone, this is Dennis. I play in a band called Refused, and you're going to listen to Q Presents The Making Of with me. It's going to be awesome. Hello, Dennis. How are you? I'm fine. That's quite the introduction. Was it okay? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. It's always sort of weird, sort of uh, having, a, <clears throat> having a little paragraph just summing up someone's life and yeah. work in a couple of sentences. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the world we live in today, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you want to compress everything, but it, I thought it was a fine introduction. Good. Yeah. Do you sort of feel like you've amassed a body of work now? You've been involved in so many different things over the past two decades and more. Yeah. I mean, looking, looking back at uh, everything I've done, I mean, yeah, I, I think to my name, I have like a good almost 30 full-length records. I mean, different projects and different bands. And yeah, I've been working hard. That's, that's nuts. I, I, I guess. But it, it's also like... I'm a restless person. I always want to move forward. I'm creative, you know, and then I, you know, I can't sit still. I need to try something new, do something new. So it's, it's I've always been moving. And I also think it's like uh, just trying to be a musician in a world um, where it's dif difficult to make a living playing music. You have to have a lot of projects, yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to have a lot of, a lot of things happening, you know, to, to be able to, to make it, you know. What is your limit for sitting still? I mean, I could probably go a week or two, maybe. I mean, I'm getting better at it. When I was young, it was impossible. I could never sit still. I was, I was a horrible partner and friend because I was always moving, you know. But I'm a bit better now. I mean, especially now, this this past year has been pretty intense because, uh, I mean, we we did the Refuse record that we're here to talk about. Yeah. But I also have a fake names record recorded, and I have a new Invasion record recorded. So in in, so you've in, got the, two in the past in the past year, yeah, I have three albums just waiting to to come out into the world. So the past year, I recorded three full length records, which is that that's that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> so when we were done with a, a refused record, um, we did a, a bit of touring, and then I did some invasion touring. But that actually had two months off this summer, which was uh, so rare for me. <laughs> what were you like then? Were you going stir crazy by the end? No, it was actually fine. I, I, I felt I, I, I deserved it. I think, you know, growing up in the north of Sweden, 
you have this Lutheran kind of like work ethic. And I remember when I was a young kid and I saw my mom and she's always working, always cleaning, always cooking, always. And I was like, that's crazy. How can you be like that? And then one day I was like, oh, I am <laughs> like that, you know. <laughs> but so it's, it's quite, a, you know, fun to, to realize that I become my mom. <laughs> In terms of doing three records like that, yeah. Are you good at um, diverting your attention? Because there are obviously three very different bands yeah. and different styles. <clears throat> yeah. Yes, I am. And I, I try to I try to keep the creative momentum so that I'm like, I know that, okay, now it's like an invasion, invasion period. It's going to be very, you know, like focused on that. And then now it's a refuse period. So I try to keep it separated. I think one of the things that happened was that the Refuse record was supposed to be done earlier. So I, I was like, the Refuse record should be done by this time and then so we can start recording Invasion, you know, like, but then Refuse record kept dragging on and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, I got three records just, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. done basically. So, but it, it's fine, you know. It's then, a luxury problem. It is. Yeah. So then tell me about this Refuse record. It's called War Music. Yep. Is making a Refuse record like going into battle? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> But like in a good way, I think that uh, most good art comes out of conflict. You know, I, I don't think there are very few of my favorite records that was done when everybody's like, you know, sitting by the campfire. It's like, this is great. <laughs> We're all getting along. Yeah, your records definitely don't sound like that. No, they don't. And I think that we've known each other for a very long time. So we kind of know the uh, our faults and failures and also our strengths. And... Um, that's a good thing, and sometimes it's a very frustrating thing. But uh, the process was long. Like, I mean, from from I mean, from when when the writing started until I mean, it's more than two years of of working on this record. And I think in um, it's almost two years since we started recording it. But then again, I mean, the last record we did, Freedom, we practiced really hard. We went to America for like six weeks with a producer. And then we came home, we did some, you know, pickups, and that was it. And this record, we were like, okay, let's do it differently. Let's do it ourselves. Like David and Chris, our drummer guitar player, they produced it, and we recorded it basically in small studios around Stockholm by ourselves. And then because of our lives and because of everything that, that's happening around us, it was like a patchwork, you know, like we'll have two weeks here, we have two days there, and then I'll come down and do vocals for a day, you know. So it was, yeah. uh, that's why it took a lot, long time. It wasn't like we're in the studio for two years. I don't think we can afford that. But it was, it was a long process, yeah. How does that affect your headspace, doing it incrementally like that? It was a bit weird because, uh, especially since there's so much other stuff going on, but also because like David and Chris, when they work, they're very perfectionist and they, and they, they keep changing stuff which I, I like, but sometimes you're like, I'll go down to Stockholm for, for a couple of days, I'll do vocals, I'll go home, and then David calls me after two weeks, he's like, you know the vocals we did last week? I'm like, yeah, he's like, well, I changed the chorus, and that verse is gone, so you need to come down and redo the vocals. <laughs> so there's a lot of that, and like, wait, I thought I was done, you know, because I'm one of those guys that have lists, so you tick off yeah, the yeah. song, I'm like, oh, we're done with these songs, that's great, I won't have, So now you, you gotta know. make a new list. Yeah, exactly, but um, at the end, like, you know, the process of, of making stuff, the process of uh, how you get somewhere is irrelevant when the result comes out and you're like, this is amazing. Like all, all the arguing and all the all the stuff that we felt was hard about making the record, once the record was done, we're like, ah, it doesn't matter. 
like the record's done. It sounds fantastic. Uh, the process is just the process, you know? Yeah. yeah. Are you good at knowing when it's done? Uh, yeah, I think we're pretty good. I mean, do I have to say like this record, like we did... Uh, we did the mastering, which is like you, you, you record the record, you mix the record, and then mastering is like the final touch-up. We did the mastering, and then David calls me. He was like, oh, there's a new intro to one of the songs. So I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we could change stuff still. But, but I think... what have you got now? You've got like four weeks? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before, But it, it, now it's done. And, it, you know, it, it's good when, when the artwork is sent in and, you know, you, you spell-checked all the artwork and everything is like done. So that, that was a good feeling when when the record actually got sent off to, to pressing, and we're like, now we can't backtrack anymore. Now this is, this is the product that people are going to hear, you know? And what are you like making records <clears throat> personally? What sort of uh, mode do you go into? Um, I think it depends on the project a little bit. I mean, with Refused, it is, it's very intense, but it's also, um, David and Chris does a lot of like the arrangements and the, and the riffs. So it's like, for me, like it's it's a bit of an easier process because I get to, I get to focus on on writing melodies and writing the 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 lyrics, you know. So it's a bit of easier. I mean, and then with Invasion, our record was completely different. We went into the studio, all our demos were super solid, done. Two weeks, boom, everything's done. So I mean, it's different. But uh, I don't know. I I think when it comes to making records nowadays. I try to always to put the art above myself. When you're a young person, your ego and your kind of like the prestige of who you want to be and what you want to represent has a tendency to overshadow the art. But then as you grow older, you're like, well, maybe the art should be the focus. So when David calls me up and he says, you have to redo the vocals, I'm always like, yeah, cool. I'll come down to redo the vocals. 20 years ago, I'm sure it wouldn't have been like that. I'm sure like, no, I'm done. You know, I did my part. You know, I wrote those lyrics. You yeah. know, you can't change that. So I think that's um, usually uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty mellow when it comes, when, when it actually comes to recording. I mean, do you think there's a way of getting to that um, state without taking the long way around? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, as I said, it depends on the project too. But I mean, something with like the fake names project that I have, um, I did some demos at home. I went to New York. I did vocals for two days. I'm like, eh, done. Sounds great. You know, so sometimes that that's all you need, you know. But uh, then sometimes it takes you two years. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel Do you feel pressure when you're making a Refused record? Just now that Refused is such an important band to so many people. Yes, you do. But usually you put that pressure on yourself. Because at the end of the day, like, no matter what you do, and no matter how you do it, people will criticize you and people will be like, you know, trying to poke holes in what you do, especially because we are a band that that has a legacy and we, we did a record that it's like, you know, people consider a classic record. So you put a lot of pressure on yourself because you want to create the best piece of art possible, which I always want to do. But, but with Refuse, we know the legacy so that it makes it a bit harder. But I have to say, like, this time around, it was a bit easier because we had freedom as like a buffer in between shape and this record. Yeah. So it's like, it's been, you know, to always be compared to shape of to come for refuse to think it's fine. It's relevant. But then when you do other project and then someone comes up and like, it's not as shape of, I'm like, no, it's a, diff it's a different band. Yeah. It's a different, you know, so that that feels a bit unfair at times, but just for a few, no, it's fine. Like we should be compared to 
to our, our work. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, you feel pressure, but I think it's a good pressure. You know, it's like it, it, it forces you to really uh, get focused and get into it, you know. I always associate um, refused and refused fans with like, that sort of diehard, fervent fan base. You know, once you're a refused fan, you're a lifer. Yeah. What do you think about what do you think it is that inspired that connection? Um I'm not sure. I mean, I think that that when Shape came and and we released that, I think it it resonated with a lot of people because it was something I assume for a lot of people it it did change how they viewed music, which is a big thing. I mean, if if a band comes in and it changes your trajectory on on how you see the world. I mean, that's a big thing. So I think a lot of people felt that when that record came. Like, oh, you know, there's something new. So people, I would say, uh, maybe their life is, they're super opinionated. <laughs> Refused fans are super opinionated, which is, of course, a good thing because we are. As a band, we're super opinionated. Yeah. We have all these ideas and we always talk about all these things. So I would say a lot of a lot of people that like our bands, they they have a lot of opinions. It sounds that, like football fans. You might yeah. you support that team for life, but yeah. it doesn't mean that you're not showing exactly. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Like, there's a lot of, I mean, people like you know they come to our shows and they'll support our band, but they're not afraid to to say that the new song sucks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> how do you find an appropriate response to that? I, I don't really. I mean, I mean it's. People are entitled to their, their opinions, and that's fine. And um, I always have a I always have a feeling that um, the people are, that are angry online, they're not that many, but they're very vocal because they are angry and they need to sort of direct that anger somewhere. And for someone, I mean, you know, since 1991, people called me sellouts. So I'm <laughs> quite used to it, so I don't really pay a lot of attention. I mean, sometimes I'll read comments. And it, I can get, I wouldn't say upset, but I can get like, oh, come on, like now you're misunderstanding what we're doing on purpose. That kind of gets me sometimes. I'm like, if, if it, it feels like people are misunderstanding. But most of the times I'm just like, you know, that's your, that's like your opinion, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, being called a sellout feels like such an anachronistic concept in 2019. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But what, can you recall the first time you were called a sellout and what was the context? Um, I think it, it was like the early '90s, and I'm I'm sure it was just we played like a big show, you know, just that that was all it took. Like at there that was a point. PA, yeah, there was like a PA at the show. These guys are sellouts, you know, like or you know you you sign a record deal. I mean, no, I think we uh, in 1993 we were nominated for a Grammy with Refused, uh, right? Yeah, and then that's. The punk world is like that's not that's not cool. Yeah, but we didn't nominate ourselves. <laughs> no, exactly. But uh, so I think that it's been a fair. Um, it's been a fair amount of people calling me solid for the past like twenty something years. <laughs> what were your ambitions at that point? Um, well, in the nineties when we started the band, it's interesting because <clears throat> when I got into music, I wasn't. I mean, I was ambitious in the sense that I worked hard. I wasn't afraid, you know, I wasn't afraid to work. But in the back of my mind, I always assumed that um, this is just going to be like a, a passing phase, you know, like like I'll have to get my life together and get a proper job, but we'll do some music meanwhile. So I, it wasn't like I, I set out, I never set out to become a musician. When I was a young kid, I wasn't like, oh, I want to become a musician. But 
I loved music, so I wanted to play in a band. But then David, he was one of those guys when he was like 12, he was like playing jazz drums and everyone at the at this music school, like, oh, this guy's super talented. So I think he always knew that he was going to become a musician. So there's right. this really cool, weird, uh, you know, like balance between us. Because he, he always believed that he was like, I'm talented enough to become a real musician. And I always thought, like, I'm not really talented enough to become a musician. And then, you know, um, when Refuse broke up in 98, I actually applied to the university. I'm like, okay, music's done. Like, I'm going to go to the university. I'm going to become a teacher in political science, which was my goal. And um, I applied to the university, and they basically said, like, what, you, you're not going to get into the university. You never went to school before. Like, what are you thinking? And I was like, oh, man, this is not going to work out. So I started another band, and and here we are. Yeah. You know? What did you want to be when you were a kid? I don't know. Like, n- nothing. I, I knew I didn't want to become a farmer. My granddad was a farmer. Right. And I just remember being a kid saying, like, I'm not going to be a farmer when I grow up. So, and that, you know, I stayed true to those, yeah. those ideas. Well, you, n- you never know. You never that know. That is, of course, <laughs> true, you know. But uh, I, don't, I don't think I had, like, a, a scenario of, like, you know, kids are like, I want to become a firefighter or something. I, I didn't have that. I mean, I was always into music. So I was, I guess the idea of, of playing music appealed to me. But also when, when I got into music, like the, the first type of music I got into was metal and all those guys were super sufficient players and they're they're like they're rock gods yeah and when you're a young kid from a working class town in the north of Sweden to be a rock god that's not on the map you know that's not you can't be that so when I discovered punk it was like okay I, I can do this you know this is this seems more reasonable uh, but I never like I never had the ambition to become a musician I, I, I remember distinctly like for a long time I wouldn't call myself a musician I was like, no, I play music, and people, oh, you're a musician. I'm like, no, no, that's like, that's a dirty word, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? I'm a punk, you know. Like, so, but then, you know, I guess I'm a musician. <laughs> what were the What were the first records that really grabbed you in? Um, well, I mean, it, it's funny because, uh, as I said, I was a metal kid, and that's kind of how I got into wanting to play music. But I mean, my first love was David Bowie. I bought Let's Dance when I was twelve. I loved it. All the kids in my school, they're, they're into like Kiss and Deep Purple. And I'm like, oh, I like David Bowie. So like, you know, yeah, I was doomed from the start. But then I got into, I got into metal and I was like one of those kids where like everyone in my class is like, they went to Kiss and Deep Purple. And I was like, oh, Kiss is cool, Deep Purple is cool. And then I just started digging and finding the most obscure bands. And I'm like, okay, it needs to be heavier. It needs to be faster. It needs to be raw, more brutal. So I was that kid, you know, immediately off you the bat. You had ba- that crate digging thing. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the minute I got into music, I was like, I, I, I dove deeper than anyone that I knew. And, and, uh, and then, you know, I discovered like a lot of the, the metal stuff. Like I was early with, with Metallica and, and Slayer and Anthrax and Bathory and like all that stuff. And then... Um, that's when I start playing music. I start playing bass because, you know, that's the easiest <laughs> instrument to, <Yeah. laughs> to to play. <laughs> and I had a friend that I, he was a guitar player and I had a friend that was a drummer. So I'm like, I'll, I'll play the bass, you know, and, you know. Um, but it was, it was hard because I was, you know, I was too busy. I think I was too busy living life. I didn't want to sit at home practicing. Yeah. 
And then uh, I, I mean, just, no one dreams of sitting at home practicing the bass. No, no, exactly. <laughs> that, that's just not that's not on the map. And uh, but then I discovered punk, and then that changed everything. I mean, that's that changed my entire life, my my trajectory of everything that I thought I was, wanted to be and thought I knew and everything. So it was a big thing. Hello, this is Dennis from Refused. Check out Q presents the making of. <laughs> I'm like Q presents. What are they presenting? Yeah. yeah. In terms of forming your first bands, what, um, what was the music scene like? Was there something for you to tap into or was it something you had to do yourself? No, there was nothing. I mean, you had like youth centers where, where, uh, where there's bands are playing. But I mean, the first show I ever played with my, with my first punk band, like it was us and then there's a guy, there are a couple of guys like five years old and I was playing Creedence covers. I mean, that, that's kind of what it was, you know. Wow. And there was nothing going on. And, and you were playing like Minor Threat covers or something. Yeah. Exactly. So it was like a different world, you know. And then, you know, I moved I moved to the city. I grew up on the countryside. I moved into the city when I was 19. And then it was together with my friends, we started like a scene. But the scene was also like there's like a hardcore band and there's like a, a punk band and there's like some guys that play kind of death metal. And there was also a band that played Guns N' Roses song. But I guess we can all play together. We because, might as well hang out. Like. Yeah, we might as well hang out because we're the only like freaks in town. And then that evol- evolved actually to to a real scene after a while because you know we we took it seriously and we really, you know, we we pushed ourselves and and it was fun. Like people people saw our shows and were like, oh, that seems like fun. And we played a lot, which is it's funny now. What was the group called then? I mean, I had a band called Step Forward that kind of turned into Refused. Right. Like like we broke up and me and Dave formed Refused. So so. Around the step forward time, that's where the the metal band and the Guns N' Roses cover band. That's you know that's it, that era. But then when we started Refused, then we actually had some other friends that started a hardcore band, and all of a sudden there's there's a bunch of hardcore bands, and there's like a little scene, and we started a record label, and we start putting on shows. And one of the things now that strikes me is like now when you have a band um, and you play in your hometown, it's like oh you can play in your hometown once a year, and people are still like oh they just played last year. We played every weekend. For the, like the first two years of Refuse, we played almost every weekend. We played in our hometown, different youth centers, different places. Like every weekend, there's a hardcore show, there's a punk show. So that meant like a lot of people started coming to the shows. And, you know, the first shows, there were like 20 people. Then, you know, more and more people started coming to the shows. Did you feel like a leader of that scene at that point? No, not not really a leader. But, I mean, we definitely felt like we were the, 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 the forerunners. So, like we were like, you know, our our group of people were like the instigators of this thing never felt like a leader i, I think <laughs> you know I'm, I'm too much of a socialist to to do that but yeah i mean we we were definitely the instigators we were definitely a group of people that kind of um yeah we we paved the way basically yeah yeah and in terms of um refused and you and david was there an immediate chemistry between you yeah like the the second i mean it's funny because Dave was one of those guys like as i said he was like he was a very you know, he's a good musician. And uh, I think one of his music teachers told him to go to a show because he was supposed to check out a band that was, like, really, like, they were doing, like, Toto covers, like, really good. And then my hardcore band played. And David saw us play, and Dave was like, oh, no, that's what I want to do. Right. So so he, he was a fan of my my, my first band. And then um, I moved to Umeå, and I moved into the same, you know, same house as he, basically. So we started seeing each other around, and then one day we started chatting up, and he's like, 
you know, I played drums and we started hanging out and I saw him play. He played in like a technical death metal band. Like the eight minute songs and they're like all these rhythm changes. I'm like, oh, he's a good drummer. And then, yeah, we hit it up immediately. So, yeah. Can you remember the point at which Refuse Sound began? Um, I mean, it's it's hard because when we started the band, our ambitions were very different from, from what we became. When we started the band, we got some... Me and David got some people to play, and, and I think we wanted to play just hardcore, basically fast hardcore. And then the minute we actually started writing songs, it, it was quite obvious that none of the other people are hardcore kids. So the music became something different. And then once we got Chris in the band, it just changed. And, and the way he saw music and the way he played his guitar. And, and I, so I would say the first couple of years of Refuse, it was, it was like trying to find out who we were. And I think it wasn't until like 94. So we started banding in 90, 91. And I think it wasn't until 94 where it actually felt like, okay, now we know what we're tr- what we're doing with this band. And we, we released an EP called Everlasting. I think that's like the, when we actually felt that we, that we had something. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the- I mean, before that, it was fine. I mean, we were like the biggest band of the scene. We were one of the biggest hardcore bands of the country. But, that's just because there wasn't anything else, you know? And we were great live, we were fun live, but but I don't think it ever translated musically into what the excitement of, of it live until that EP. When you were making, obviously, a few years later, The Shape of Punk to Come, yeah. did you feel... This is always a weird question for people who have made, like, pioneering landmark albums. <laughs> Does it feel at the time as if you're you're stepping onto new territory? Yeah. Yes, it really did. And I mean... The, the context was that f- for, for a long time, we were very, especially me, I would say, very much a, a, a band uh, that was a part of a scene. And for me, I was, it was always about the scene. I was, you know, very, very much like we're a hardcore band, we're part of the hardcore scene, which is great, but it, it could also be a bit disheartening because people weren't as ambitious as I was. They weren't a politi- as political as we were and all these things. So what happened was that we went to America in 96 to tour and we were super excited. We we're like, oh, now we're going to meet all these people that we, you know, like, because no matter how you view it, like you're, you're sitting in, in small Sweden. So you look at America and all these hardcore bands and all that scene, you're like, oh, that's, that's kind of what we want, you know. And we came over to America and, and people were not interested in politics. And the political kids didn't like our music and, and the kids that liked our music didn't like our politics. And right. it was a weird thing. Like we went over there and we we're like, oh, now we're going to conquer America. And basically it felt like no one really took us seriously or no one really liked what we we're doing. So when we came home from that tour, that's when we started making Shape of Punk to Come. And it, it was like we felt that we needed to step out of the scene and do something different. And I mean, that that's that's how that record came to be as, as I wouldn't say weird, but as, as experimental as it is, because we felt like we can no longer live in the constraints of this this narrow-minded world, basically. And um, so we started making it, and, and it felt early on that we were doing stuff that we never done before, that it felt like no one in our surrounding had done before. That being said, though, we uh, we had a release party for the record, and I remember turning to David and saying, like, I don't think people's going to like this record. And he's right. like, he's like, no, it's a great record. I'm like, yeah, but I don't think they're going to get it. So when we started touring on that record, 
they didn't. Like the Harker kids didn't show up. The people that did show up, they were like, oh, these are pretentious sellouts. You know, like then, you know. Had you mentally prepared for that? No, no. Because, I mean, we were touring and, and the record we made before called Songs to Fan of Flames and Discontent, we were on the top of our game, like live and, and the crowds were coming in and that's where we peaked as a band. So we came out with shape and we started playing shows and we didn't really prepare. I don't think we practiced enough and we hadn't figured out all the backtrack stuff because this is like 1998. Like, yeah. you know, like... And there's a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on and we hadn't figured all that stuff out. So we came out and we weren't that great and the crowd was not interested in our new record. I, I mean... Perfect I remember, storm. I, yeah, and I remember like the first show we played, like the, the tour premiere for this record, the records that were doing this tour premiere and like 40 people showed up and, and, and you know, like the, the backing tracks didn't work and it was like... I remember like being in the dressing room being like, oh, this sucks. Like, this is not great. And then, so we toured on that record for six months. And there were glimpses where it was like, it felt great. But a lot of it was just a struggle and really rough. And, and we felt like, okay, this is, we're doomed, you know. And then we broke up and, you know, we broke up with the tail between our legs. And we went home and we're like, yeah, that was a failure. Yeah. And here we are. I mean, you made your definitive <laughs> record. And yeah. It was just a company with defeat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the feeling for a long time, you know. I came home, I started an international noise conspiracy and like then people started calling me like, oh, they're showing your video on MTV. Like they're showing new noise on MTV. And I'm like, what? And then I started touring with noise conspiracy and all these people like, oh, I love the last refuse record. I'm like, where were you like a year ago? <laughs> like what's Have going on? Have you worked on? out what happened? Was there a start of this thing? I don't know. I think, I mean, I think it's because the record didn't get released in America until September and it got released in Europe in, in February. So we toured in Europe and I, I think just America picked up on the record. Right. Like they started playing the video and they started like really getting into it. And then, so we became this phenomenon over in America. And that, that of course, then that spread to the rest of the world. And and you're like, you're trying to create new music. <laughs> I'm not in that band anymore. Yeah, exactly. And people come up to you and like, you know, oh, there's a good show. I love Refused. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, so... For a long time. It was Did like, you love Refused at that point? No, I hated it. <laughs> For, it was incredibly frustrating, you know? Like, I'm like, there's this albatross. I'm like, well, what's going on? Like, why, why are people talking about this? I mean, this is old news. Like, I'm doing new stuff. So for a long time, uh, the idea of Refused was incredibly frustrating. But it also felt like it was something that belonged to someone else. You know, like, when, when you create something... And then that just got away from us. And it started living a life of its own and Refuse just became something that we weren't a part of. Like no one in Refuse. We were like living our lives and they were like, that Refuse band is really taking off. We're like we have nothing to do with yeah, that. It wasn't and drawn up on a marketing plan. No, no, <laughs> not at all. And I mean, we didn't feel it taking off. We just saw it taking off. You know? Yeah, it's such a weird sensation. Because yeah. when you talk to bands <clears throat> who are having that meteoric rise, yeah. They can sort of describe it, and yeah, yeah, and it it never, but it never looks the same as it does from the outside. Whereas no, you got to watch it happen from the outside, yeah, as if you weren't in the band yeah, at all. Of course, I mean that's how I felt too. We were like, "What's going on with this Refuse band? They're they're quite popular right now." How were you communicating with each other at that time? Not much. Like me and David met up once in a while and talked, but I mean, 
we were a bit scattered too. Like um, Chris lived in America for a couple of years. Like we we broke up, and Chris and David just went to California. We broke up and we flew home from DC. And Chris and David were like, "Oh, we'll go to California and hang out." And Chris stayed for a couple of years. Right. Went to movie school, and so he was in LA. I didn't really see him that much. And David moved back to Sweden and started like this weird like collective, like political collective. And and then he moved out of the countryside and just kind of like disappeared. You know, and so I didn't really see much of those guys. And obviously you had International Noise Conspiracy going on, other yeah. musical projects. Yeah. When did you make your peace with Refused? Uh, I mean, it was gradually. There was, a, uh, there was like a reissue of, of Shape, like a double vinyl reissue that got sent to me. And, I and that was for like 10th anniversary or something? Yeah, something like that. And then I remember putting it on and I was like listening to it. I'm like, all right, yeah kind of get it you know like okay this is pretty good i remember texting david and be like shape shape's pretty good actually he he got back to me he's like yeah yeah it's it fine it's a good record you know so then you know you kind of made peace with it and then um me and david started we we had a hardcore band for a little bit called ac4 yeah. so we did that and then we started hanging out and then once you start hanging out and you can talk about the past i think that's kind of when you know when you made peace with it because then we could talk about because the last year Refuse was horrible. I mean, th- there's the movie called Refuse the Fucking Dead, and, yeah. and that's, and it pretty much sums up how horrible it was. But then when you can start talking what about it. What was it like to watch that? I mean, it's such a sad movie. <laughs> I remember watching that. I'm like, I'm so angry. I, I remember seeing it. I'm thinking, like, I'm so angry. I'm such an angry person in that movie. And I'm not really that of an angry person. I remember that was a bit surreal. But then when me and David could joke about it we started laughing about like how stupid we were and, yeah. you know like like the dumb stuff we said and then you're like you made peace with it and then one day we're all living in the same city because we as i said we were scattered for a long time people were living all over the place and then one day we're living in the same city chris <clears throat> chris and david and magnus that was our original bass player started playing music together they had like an instrumental prog thing happening and then we got an offer from coachella and, and here we are, like, seven years later. Yeah. yeah. What was your initial reaction to that offer from Coachella? Well, we got the offer a couple of times before, and we always turned it down. I, I remember distinctly one time we turned it down, and it was a good offer. I mean, it wasn't as good as, as the last time when we actually said yes, but we got a good offer from Coachella. Me and David went on, on, on uh, out a weekend with AC4 and played a show in the south of Sweden in front of six people. And we're just right. looking at each other laughing. We're like, well, we just turned down like, you know, like whatever, two million from Coachella <laughs> to do this. And we're just laughing. I said, that's crazy. Uh, so we turned it down a couple of times. And then when it came, me and David talked about it. We, we kind of talked about like how it would feel to play Refuse songs again. And, you know, like the, the, the conversation, are we too old? Can we relate to these songs? Like, what would it feel like? And then we got the offer, and, and David just emailed me, and he said, uh, don't email the other guys. Just leave it. And I'm like, oh, fine. And like a month went by, and I was like, I guess we're not doing Coachella, you know? And then David just calls me up one day. He's like, okay, we're doing it. It's happening. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, talk to the other guys. It's happening. And I'm like, well, should we practice? He's like, no, nah, no, nah, let's just do it. I mean, we did practice a lot, but because but I was like, maybe we should get together Test first. The a bit. Yeah, and he's like, no, no, we're doing it, so... I was, it, was, it was crazy. I remember my knees buckling. I'm like, really, are we doing it? He's like, yeah, yeah, we're doing it. I'm like, oh, my God. What was the feeling just before you were about to walk on stage for your first comeback show? 
about the Coachella show. Yeah, the first Coachella show. I was like, all right, you know, this is it. You know, it's it's now we have to prove to people that we're worthy of this comeback and you know worthy of being here on stage. And the first weekend of Coachella was fine. It's a bit shaky, and then we did a couple like three really small shows, kind of leading up to that. Yeah, they're all pretty good, but you know, like they're small shows, and you know, like it, it's easy to kind of mask uh, if, if you're if you're if you're not being great, you can sort of mask it. But it's yeah, a small it's not show. a live stream to the world. Yeah, yeah. But then the Coachella show happened, and it was, you know, it was a bit nerve wracking. And then in between, because it's two weekends, in between we went to San Francisco and we played a show with Bronx and the Hives. Bronx and the Hives, they'd just been going at it. And they're like those touring machines and like really phenomenal live bands. And um, they played and they were were amazing. And then we played and we just nailed it. And we walked off stage and we're like, I think we got this. And the funny thing is that when we said we're going to go to Coachella, the first idea was to do 10 shows. We're like, let's do 10 shows and that's it. And then we start practicing, and we're like, well, maybe we could do more than 10 shows. And it ended up being 82 shows, wow. and now there's the second record that's coming in. So, <laughs> Do you think of Refused in terms of two parts? Or now that you've been together again since 2012, is it, do you think of it as a whole? No, I think of it as two parts. It, it felt like, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot that we brought from our past with us, obviously. But I, I do feel that there's like... Um, we had a chance to become a band again. And 12 years, that's a long break. I mean, you, you grow up and you, you see the world and you become a different person. So it, it does feel like this is like the second phase, you know, like a, like a new, almost a, a, a do-over almost. Yeah. So that, that's quite interesting. I mean, we're different people. The, the we, we view the world is very different. So that, that's a cool thing. Yeah. What yeah. do you think the biggest thing you've learned from being the front man of Refused is? As I said earlier, I think it's it's a fact that what we have and what we got is bigger than us, and it should be, and not let my ego interfere and let, not let my ego get in the way of of the art and the music. And I think that's a, that's a that's a lesson that a lot of musicians never learn. That I mean, their ego always going to get in the way of 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 their music, and uh, I mean that's why a lot of bands are incredibly dysfunctional. You know, that's why most bands split up. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we might split up, but hopefully it will be because of my ego you know like but but i learned that just you know how to interact with other people and how to knowing when to take a step back knowing when to speak up and kind of like i think that the the group dynamic um i think that's important and that, that's something i really learned i think i learned that in the break you know like in bet- when we were not a band and i did other bands that's kind of when i learned about all these things and then when when we got back together, we refused. It, it was e- it was easier to implement that and be like, okay, I can take a step back. Because one of the things that happened when when we got back together and we're going to do Coachella, we're going to do all this touring, I've done all that. Like, And it would be really easy to be, to be the guy that walks in the room and you know takes over and be like, I've done this. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. So for the first like two years, I just sat back and I listened to the other guys talking about like how they wanted to do stuff. And a lot of times I'm like, all right, that's uh, yeah. Yes, we're doing it well, that, that way. Takes then. a lot of patience. To yeah, do that, yeah. Know. But I mean, I I felt, I felt that was a good thing to do because I felt that uh, they needed that comfort to feel that they were in charge of what was going on. I didn't need that because I've done that and I knew I knew what it meant. And I mean, when you go in, I mean, 
The last show Refuse played in, in 1998 was in a basement in front of 45 people. And the next show we play is, is headlining Coachella. I mean, that, that journey, they didn't do that journey at all. Like, they were just, like, literally, most of them, they hadn't been on a stage between 1998 and 2012. But I've been. I mean, I played Coachella twice with Noise Conspiracy. Yeah. I toured the world. I did, like, thousands of shows. So you felt like you'd taken the steps. Yeah, I've taken the steps. And, I, I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, I've taken the steps. And so I knew what, what, what I was getting into, and they didn't. So I was like, I'll take a step back and, and let them figure out how to, for them best to operate this. I mean, now it's different because now we've been a band for seven years. And, yeah. you know, like, you know, the dynamics of everything. But I think that was important for me and for us to, to, to you know, you can sit back and be like, I mean, there's a lot of times when they said stuff and I'm like, oh, that's a horrible idea. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> all right. I guess that's happening, you know. Like, but, you know. It's a part of growing. <laughs> Q presents the making of. So what, what is it like to be in Refused in 2019? Right now it feels pretty good, you know. It feels, it feels great, actually. Um, we got a new record. Um, we got a geopolitical situation that makes us able to write records easily. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a, good, it's, a good, uh, it's a good time to be in Refused, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's good that you came back around. Yeah. I think so too, and I mean, I didn't. I didn't think there was going to be a reunion. I didn't think there was going to be new music. It just all this is bonus for me, you know. Uh, when when we did like 2012, we did like half of 2012. Um, Chris and David uh, and Magnus, they they called me. We we're at like a hotel bar, and they were like, "Do you, we need a meeting?" And I'm like, "All right." It's, and I sat down like, "Hey, what's up?" And they're like, "We want to make a new Refuse record." I'm like, "What?" And I was completely unprepared. But, I mean, they've been playing music together, so they had some ideas. Yeah. And they were like, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know what to think about this. Show me what you got. And they, they played me the song Electra, And I'm like, yeah, yeah. If, Is that okay. why it's the opener? Just because that yeah. was the one? Yeah, because it was the one. And, I mean, it was like they showed me that song. And I'm like, oh, if that's the riff you got, then... Yeah, I think we can make new music, you know. So, so it was all of this is bonus for me. I'm just, you know, <laughs> just excited that we're that we are a band and we're doing these things. It's pretty amazing. Great, Dennis. Do you know uh, of the magazine, the former magazine Smash Hits? Yes. So Smash Hits used to do a thing called the Biscuit Tin that had random questions in it. All right. And artists would pick out a question and answer it. Now we obviously our our budget only stretches to a jiffy envelope rather than yeah. The biscuit tin. Well, you know. <laughs> So now I'm so just, I'm just pick, picking pick one out. We'll do pick a few. One out. Oh, there's, oh look, it's, it's a long one. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Ooh. I would say mind control. <laughs> Isn't being a, a front man requires a certain amount of mind control? Anyway. That is true, but, but proper mind control. <laughs> I think that's what it would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. How would you like to be remembered? It's a weird uh, and, and slightly morbid question because, uh, you know, I'm in my prime. <laughs> so, but uh, I think, um, I remember one time a couple of years ago, my dad asked me, he was like, Dennis, why don't you ever write a hit song? And I'm like, well... First of all, it doesn't really work like that. It's not like I'm not trying. 
not not trying to write a hit song, but you know, it's not working. That's a great song, Bin It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but I also I, I told my dad that like I'm not really interested in um, the aspect of like you know doing music to become famous or make money. I'm always been interested in in viewing your entire life as an art project to to see like um you know people can look at my life and said he held the line and i think that's how i like to be remembered as a as a person who held the line yeah that's good yeah. let's do one more yeah <clears throat> how do you relax two things i listen to a lot of music i play football what position do you play i'm a striker yeah of course you're, you're a singer exactly <laughs> I, mean, i could never be like a a defender <laughs> I mean, that was going to be one of the other questions i asked is that um do you find that you're a man apart in terms of other musicians you know other musicians drop in and drop out whereas you seem to have maintained a sort of vervent fandom of music in terms of going to gigs watching shows yeah i think yeah i mean i'm insanely curious still uh I, I still, I mean, I'm an avid record collector. There, there's been, there's been interviews about my record collection. You know, I'm that type of person, yeah. and um, I still love new music. I still go to every show in our hometown, check out. I mean, and I think it's an important thing to keep you. I mean, there's a lot of new music that I don't get, which I think is fine because some some music is not really meant yeah. for me. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's a big difference. I mean, it feels like. A lot of people, I'm not saying just musicians, but a lot of people, they grow up and then they kind of like, I wouldn't say get over music, but they just kind of stop. And then like, well, the music I like is the, is the music of my formative years, you know? And that's kind of where they're, they're... It's just crystallized. Yeah, it's just crystallized. And for me, it's never been like that. It's always been like, I mean, sure enough, punk and hardcore... Uh, as a phenomenon and you know in my record collection there's a lot of that music and i still listen to that a lot but i'm one of those people that are like so let's see turkish psych music interesting and then i have 50 new albums i mean i'm like that guy you know like like i'm really i dig in and as i said earlier i, I i'm the type of person that when i when i when i find something interesting i dig really deep and then you come up for air and then you have 50 new albums And you have five new albums that are going to follow you for the rest of your life. Right. And I mean, that's, that's just, the, you know, that's how I, I like music. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis, thank you very much for coming in. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, thank you to you, the listener, for listening. Thank you to producer Sue. Uh, this has been another episode of Q Presents The Making Of. Uh, please remember to rate and subscribe us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Planet Radio, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This has been Q Presents The Making Of with Dennis Leakson. Brilliant. Amazing. Cool. Thanks so much for coming in, man. That was a very enjoyable chat. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Amazing. It, I have to say, I've been doing press for the last four days, and it's the first interview where I talked for an hour about music because it's all been politics. Really? Which is fine because that's, you know, when we put out a record like War Music, people will talk about politics. Yeah. So it's very nice to... Just talk about music. Good. And talk I'm about glad. what that means and, you know, coming up, you know, so it was nice. It was really good. I mean, there's just so much to talk about. Yeah. It's one of those when I'm, do, when I'm like, doing my research. Yeah. yeah. The only other one was we did um, Mike Scott from The Waterboys. Oh, yeah. Where you're like, how the fuck are you going to nail four decades in an hour? 
you know. Yeah, it's crazy. But you just trust to go with, well, there's going to be interesting stories and we'll just follow those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's why these are so nice because you're, you know, you're, you're so genuinely interested in the humanity of the person yeah, yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, that's the important part. Like, like if, or if you're interested in this person, that will come out and then, yeah, there, there are yeah. tons of stuff we didn't talk I mean, about. I'm really, into, yeah. I'm really into music, but I just, people yeah. are so interested do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean, which, which is weird to do interviews because I'm a curious person. Mm. And I'm like, now nah, I'm just talking about yeah. myself. What are you people? You know, like I'm... And especially like, for someone like you, I talked about the sort of diehard fan base yeah. thing. A lot of your interviews, the music ones, are people yeah. who fucking love Refused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is interesting to be in a band that's so outspoken. But at the end of the day, we are a rock band. Yeah. We play music. And when we talk in the dressing room or practice space... 95% is about music. Very few percent is about politics. But I mean, that's that's just a part of the language of the band. Yeah. You know? Like like the guitars or, you know, it's just a part of that. So it's quite, I mean, I, I think well, about... It's, it's your music that's given you a platform for exactly, that Exactly, yeah, right? exactly. So it, yeah. it's, yeah, it's great. Sweet. Great. Water Boys. I like the Water Boys. I discovered them late. And the yeah. first couple of records are... Yeah, my mum used to... My mum's Irish, so she used to play oh. them all the time. They're back in the set. Thank you. You've been listening to Q Presents the Making of with me, Dennis from Refused. I hope you enjoyed it.